every week there's a new story that comes out with a new AI technology into some sort of tool that we like to use already. And Snap is the next one. Also, it is prone to, and I like this term, hallucination (laughs) and can be tricked into saying just about anything. Until 2019, believe it or not, the US nuclear weapons program ran on eight inch floppy disks. You come back from a meeting or a couple of hours later and then you've got a hundred plus messages you have to go through. But now you can just type, can you please summarize this thread for me? And then it'll give you a nice summary. I think that's super useful. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Disconnected. All the J's today, I'm Jack Sharma, joined by Jen Campbell and Jason Capadia. Coming up, AI chatbots coming to social media, ChatGPT coming to your grocery shopping, Slack might just start replying to messages for you soon, as well as a few other trending topics. Jen, do you want to start us off? Do you want to start us off on on the latest with Snapchat? Yes, I do. So every week there's a new story that comes out with a new AI technology into some sort of tool that we like to use already. And Snap is the next one. So they have come out this week to say that they are launching My AI in Snapchat Plus. So they're going to be leveraging GPT-3, which is an open AI technology, much like ChatGPT. And uh, the idea of it is it's going to be able to generate content. So none of this is new. It's stuff that we've already seen, but it will be doing things like coming up with gift ideas, sort of memes, poems, that sort of stuff. I think the interesting thing I saw about this is, A, it's launching into the subscription model of um, Snapchat Plus. So it is actually one of those tools that's coming to subscription members first. And then the other thing is they already kind of counted the issues that might come up with manipulative and offensive content. So they've come out and and said that actually it's going to be limited. Um, It's going to be more limited than ChatGPT will be because they are trying to minimize the amount of offensive content that it can pull up. But also it is prone to, and I like this term, hallucination (laughs) and can be tricked into saying just about anything. So I think um, they've learned the lessons from the likes of Google and Bing and some of the content that's coming back and they're kind of jumping in front to say, stop trying to make these bots give out offensive content because they will just by the nature of what they are. So there are many deficiencies and they're sorry in advance. The other thing they did say was, please don't share any secrets with it because it is in an open AI technology, which I thought was quite interesting. But yeah, this is one that's coming to your Snapchat soon. What do you guys think? Are you ready for it? Is that what you've been looking for for the last three months of the year? You know what, right? This is now my fifth year away from Britain, my fifth year in Hong Kong. And when I was living in Britain, I absolutely was addicted to Snapchat. I loved it. I had the specs, the Snap specs. I remember taking them on holiday with me and just like, it was an easy way to create content. I found everything easy with Snapchat, even doing um, video calls. Weirdly, I just found it easier to do a video call with Snap. And then you could way back before you know, Instagram had lenses and filters. I was, you know, you could use that on a video call on, on Snapchat. So it was phenomenal. And I really like what they've done here because the whole thing about their platform is it's, you know, it's playful. It's not a serious platform at all. And what they've done is that they've taken this technology and they're using it in a way that complements who they are, what they do, what they stand for. And I like the, the, the usage term that they've given as an example where you can ask, you know, the chatbot to, you know, my friend likes this topic. Can you write a fun limerick for me to share with them? 
So I really like even the the use case for it. Yeah, and I kind of miss Snapchat. It's not that it's not available in Hong Kong. It's just that no one, no one uses it here. Um, but yeah, I I'm, I applaud Snapchat. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I mean, I think it's the first feature that would actually be really useful that users would probably end up paying a couple of bucks a month for, um, reducing their reliance on advertising revenue. But one thing <laughs> now with all these tools being built into the social networks themselves, I mean, like a whole generation of kids are already going to be getting their homework done by AI and now their social conversations as well. I mean, what's left for them to do? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. In the, I think in the past, if I wanted to, you know, send a fun limerick to Jason about Elon, I'd have to come up with it myself or do a little bit of research with Googling and then put some thought into it. So that could be lost a bit. But if I do a Jason on Jason and favor technology and come out from the other perspective, you know, it, it can be complimentary, Jace. You know, it could be, okay, maybe kids don't have a clue of how to write a fun limerick, but then the first time it's done for them by a chatbot, it might spark, you know, the child's imagination and they might be able to build on it or add to it or change it slightly. It's bringing... You know, it's 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 it should be a dream of yours. It's bringing man and machine closer together, complementary. Yeah, hundred percent. I like it because you know, right now, whenever I speak to you via WhatsApp, I have to copy and paste your message into ChatGPT, get it to generate a response, <laughs> then paste the response back. <laughs> this is all within the app, so you know, saves me countless. Surely seconds. there must be a plugin that you can use already, you know, probably on desktop uh, WhatsApp or something. You know, I wouldn't be offended if you were you if you were um, if you were using uh, a chatbot to respond to me. And uh, actually, Jason, you touched upon something that we were going to talk about a bit later. But why don't we talk about it now? Slack's new uh, Chat GPT bots that might actually be able to do some simple replies to colleagues first. Do you want to take us through that? Yeah. So uh, you know, Chat GPT is helping millions of people become more productive at work, and uh, now being integrated directly into Slack. So, um, you know, looking at the actual demos, uh, it's really simple to use. And you know, have you ever had a bunch of colleagues chatting on Slack or whatever platform you use, and you come back from a meeting or a couple of hours later, and then you've got a hundred plus messages you have to go through, but now you can just type in at chat gpt can you please summarize this thread for me and then it'll give you a nice summary i think that's super useful and and if you're a project manager you can ask it to write to say all of your developers asking them for an update on what they're doing and it will just shoot a message to everyone without you having to manually do each one um, and if you use their salesforce product they have this einstein ai and it can you can ask it to write emails to your top clients automatically and it can generate reports just by asking and you know what would take hours can be done in minutes now and um you know i can get chat gpt to reply to messages from from me automatically so it can actually look like i'm doing work when i could be sleeping <laughs> so you know what do you guys think do you think that this will encourage more employers to get their employees to work from the office so they can actually see us working or do you think this will mean more layoffs as AI takes over more and more of our lives. Um, I love this. I think exactly for the same reason you said about it, summarizing chains and chains of messages 
it's just going to make things so much easier. I know also there was an example of, you know, setting up meetings, knowing people's meetings, availability, that sort of stuff. I don't think it takes away from the day-to-day work at all. I think it complements entirely. And especially for, you know, if I go on leave and I come back, I can get a summary of everything that's happened. We have Slack channels with partner agencies we work with. So I can get a quick summary of, okay, across the last week, what's happened. Or I can get it to go back and look for certain things that I've remembered um, and I need a quick summary of what we decided about it, that sort of stuff. So I think it's super complementary to the way we work at the moment. And I don't know about everywhere else in the world, but certainly here in Hong Kong and in our office, we're in a bit of a hybrid model where we're in three days a week and at home two days a week. So Slack's not going away. We use it all the time. We use it when people are in, we use it when people are out. So I think that that it really complements. And especially, you know, if you're in meetings and someone slacks you, then you can almost get a response sent to them without you having to do too much. Again, great, because people can carry on moving on other projects while I'm in meetings about other projects. So for me, I think it's really complimentary. And like, this is, again, one of those tools that I love some of this AI stuff in social, but it's a real nice to have. Whereas this, for me, is actually really useful um, and actually will enhance my working day. So similar for me, but a slight worry, it would be hugely beneficial for me because I, I work from home. Uh, the team I work with is all around the world. So Directly, I'm working with people in Australia, Japan, India, Dubai, East Coast, USA. Those are the main um, other places as well, like uh, Eastern Europe. So that's already, that's my day-to-day contact. Singapore as well. But then beyond that, I've got other colleagues elsewhere. And the thing is, because I work in social media as well, it's always on and I need to be contactable on Slack. I need to be available on Slack all the time. And so I, I, I echo Jen's thoughts on the threads. I like the idea of potentially doing straightforward replies for me. I'm not sure how that would work, but I'm interested to see where it is and how we can set the boundaries. But from a cybersecurity, digital security perspective and the sensitivities of you know, company data. Is this secure? Is this is this private? Is this going to be used by ChatGPT? What it, what it learns from the company? Is it going to be used somewhere else? Is it going to be stored somewhere? So I do I do worry about the security side of it. Just on the point of you know sending replies while you're asleep and all that sort of stuff. So I've been thinking about this quite a lot. You know, when people first got their emails on their mobiles and it used to come up with a thing saying, sent from my iPhone, excuse any typos. I don't mind having Slack send messages for me in when I'm asleep, as long as it comes with a bit of a caveat that says, you know, I'm offline at the moment. This is the likely response, but I will get back to you when I'm back online in case it's not. And then at least if people go down the route of trying to get it to give a response that's kind of offensive or whatever it might be, there's a caveat next to it that says this has certainly not come from me. Equally, you could turn that on when you are replying, fine, whatever. But I think for if that point of, you know, do you want it to respond when it's not actually you and is there a worry there for it? That's how I would see you getting around that. But yeah, Jack, you're right from a security perspective. Yeah, where, where's all that information getting sent to? Unfortunately, I don't even know at the moment how secure Slack is. I just trust that it's used by so many people that it probably is secure, which is terrible. And I probably need you to tell me more about the cybersecurity side of things when it comes to some of the technology we use in our office. But um, yeah, that's kind of my thinking. 
Yeah, so it's really interesting. A, a recent report has found that over 4% of employees have entered sensitive business data and private information into chat GPT. And companies are worried that data that these employees enter to get their queries answered can be ingested as training data uh, into these um, models so they can improve. And the issue with that is that malicious actors can potentially query that model to try to get it to reveal some of the sensitive data that potentially say Apple employees or Google employees or whoever have entered into the system. So this poses a real data uh, leak sensitivity issue. Um, So uh, employers are actually asking their employees to actually not use ChatGPT and to, for it to be restricted to only certain uses. And yeah, you're completely right in terms of with Slack that ChatGPT will be able to see the whole thread and ingest all of it. So all of that information that you're not necessarily asking um, ChatGPT to actually uh, do work on, it still has um, access to that. So yeah, um, the, the, the thing is that these models always need to get better and it needs to be trained on something. So where do they make that kind of delineation? Uh, how, how do they train the bot to not take sensitive information? It's a real big uh, issue, and I, th- I don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon. So I have a bit of a hypothesis on this, um, and it comes more... It's a generational thing, right? Like, I, don't, I wonder whether the latest generations are getting educated in this sort of area more than I did, more than the generation before us did. Because I remember when I first started working, there was a colleague I worked with who used to use an online PDF to PowerPoint tool to convert documents that had super sensitive business data in it. And I remember them saying, and I remember once saying, I don't have Adobe Reader, I need to go and speak to somebody to get something transferred into a PowerPoint. They said, oh, you can just do it online, don't worry about it. And that my alarm bell start ringing on my side to say, you can't do that. Like this data is then out in the world and people are picking it up. You know, same with social media. You know, there was a whole thing about making your profiles more private. People can't take your photos, all that sort of stuff. It's stuff that we kind of already aware of. I don't know enough about cybersecurity, but I wouldn't be surprised if the next generation below me do. And actually, they're not the worry. It's kind of our generation and upwards. But I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Is that just an assumption I'm making or is it kind of a valid point? I mean, okay, it depends what you mean by generation below us. I don't know if they're learning it in high school, but I can certainly say my, I've got twin nephews, they're 11, first year of high school. They might know, don't get me wrong, I think they'll know not to talk to strangers online and things like that, but I don't see any behavior from them that would make me believe that they are, you know, that they are particularly cyber secure. I mean, I don't see them using two-factor authentication on their Fortnite logins or anything like that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, say, let's say 20-year-olds entering the workforce. Okay, I manage, I manage a couple of young things. And, again, I don't think they really strike me as perhaps more cyber-conscious than the example you just gave, Jen. So, yeah, they wouldn't use an online uh, PDF to PowerPoint uh, converter. Uh, but then are they much more secure than that? don't know. Mm. I think in that uh, PowerPoint to PDF example you gave, the, the same risks exist. However, say if you're the owner of this PDF, uh, sorry, this um, PowerPoint to PDF generation site, you would have to literally go through every one of these PDFs and they, it could be millions of them and, uh, you know, to see if any of them have 
some sensitive data. It's probably one out of every couple of hundred or something may do, but it's a very labor intensive mm-hmm. task. Whilst with these AI bots, it's simply a query away, which you could, you know, you could ask it, okay, send me any data that Google employees may have entered into the system or something, literally just that query, if not uh, filtered by uh, the top layer of the AI engine, you know, that's where you start getting these type of issues. And with the younger generation, I think they're going to be so immersed in AI with AI knowing so much about them, probably from, you know, their health, their social, their schooling. I think it's going to be that they have this implicit trust in the AI probably by default. And that will probably be because the the, the firms that run these AIs will have to have all of these stringent protections in place. And that's going to kind of bring the trust, uh, you know, because you, you're not going to think that Microsoft is going to let your data out, mm-hmm. right? Um, just as you trust, uh, you know, Microsoft or Google with all of your documents in the cloud and, and your photos and all the rest of it. All right. Brilliant. So, yeah, moving on. Uh, surprise, surprise to another AI-related story. This could be the, the theme of 2023, I think. Jen, grocery shopping, it obviously requires a big mental load. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there, there, there may be help on the way. Yes, this, um, from going from talking about two <laughs> AI programs that are quite useful and actually user-friendly, this one for me is a bit bizarre. So um, you will have heard of Instacart, of course, because they are the world's largest online grocery service. <laughs> when you say the world, it's an American service. Um, and as Americans like to do, they like to say it's worldwide. But they're bringing in this new feature. So the way it works is you can go on this app um, and you can get your grocery shopping from your local shops. You can get it's a bit like delivery, but for groceries. And they are bringing in Ask Instacart. So this is tapping into using ChatGPT. And the idea is that you can just type in lunch and it will come up with a few things like healthy lunch, kids snacks, whatever it might be you're looking for. Um, And then it will give you recipes and it will then tell you what groceries you need to buy. I I get it. I get why it's useful for some people. It's not my bag, but sure. But what I liked about it was this, yeah, saying that grocery shopping is big mental load and this is really going to take the stress off. And I'm just getting to the point now where, like I say, every week there's a story about how AI is being built into something. And actually for this one, for me, it just feels like search. Like the examples they showed in the article, which we'll link in the show notes, really doesn't add all that much value because you've still got to go through, okay, well, what recipe do I, am I interested in like what snacks I'm looking for? One of the things was you could search kids snacks and it came up with things like edamame. I mean, is that using AI or is that just a search function that Amazon nailed a long time ago? I'm not so sure. So it's coming, it's going to be in this new um, grocery shopping app, but I thought it would just be interesting to hear from you guys. Is this a big mental load that you're looking to offload Um, or is this AI for AI's sake? I think it would be really useful when the AI knows about what I like and the frequency of what uh, when I like to eat it. And I can just ask it, okay, look, meal plan, you know, the next uh, two weeks for me and, you know, get all the groceries that I need and just deliver it to my door. You know, something like you would tell an assistant. So still, we're still a little way away, but you can see it coming quite soon. I don't think it's going to be long until that type of integration is available. I do think uh, I do think for some people the the weekly grocery shop is, is is a bit of a mental load. I I do know I do know if I can think of an example of 
you know, my sister with her Ricardo shop, and it's, uh, you know, it can get a bit stress, stressful at times. So I, I think for some people, Jen, it's uh, a, a big welcome for them to have a, an, an AI buddy that will help them on their on their own online shopping journey to make sure they get everything they need from Frosties to uh, fruit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, right, moving on. Yeah, you've got a great story for us, Jen, on actually on Reddit, and I'm quite excited about this because is Reddit becoming Reddit is becoming watch it. It's um, yeah, so it's kind of going along a bit of a TikTok like feature, but it's separating its text and its video feeds. So you now have read and you now have watch, and I love this for a couple of reasons. There's nothing more than me finding something that I mean really interesting to read about when I don't have my headphones on me, and then finding out it's video, and then not being able to find out the full extent of a story. And also, um, similarly, like if I'm at work or if I just want to scan, read something, or I don't know. Sometimes there's a place for video, and sometimes there's a place for text, and and they're going to actually deliver it into two separate feeds now, which I think is going to be really, really good. It's currently in testing, um, but it should roll out pretty soon by the sounds of things. And yeah, I just thought it was something to highlight if people aren't already all over Reddit. It's a really good way of kind of getting the content you want in the right format. Yeah, I think it's it's great that they're doing that. It's also showing that how powerful the, the, the video platform has become, that they can kind of separate it out because I'm assuming their engagement on the video side of it is probably more than the, the text side of it. And then you've got two, the two classes of users. Um, and so you, you're kind of optimizing for the uh, engagement um, for that specific type of user. So yeah, they're optimizing a UI for a uh, specific type of user is uh, yeah the way to go, definitely. Um, good, I'll be happy to uh, try this once it's available. Brilliant stuff. So, guys, I've got a question for you both. When was the last time you used a floppy disk? I mean, at school, surely. But when I say school, yeah. I mean, like, prime? No, beginning of secondary school, maybe? Yeah, it's probably the same, yeah. Um, long, long time ago. I don't know what was in your schools, but in my school, high school, we had an RM machine, research machines, and then a blue and red logo. Yeah. And... Oh, some IBMs as well. Um, but, yeah, well, it's interesting. I thought these things had died out a long, long time ago. And then, hey-ho, I found out that until 2019, believe it or not, the U.S. nuclear weapons program ran on 8-inch floppy disks. Um, and that was just a couple of years ago. So imagine something something so so uh, important as that running on, on floppy disks. But still, some entities today, to this day, 2023, are using floppy disks. And the US uh, fast food chain, Chuck E. Cheese, which if you're not familiar with it, is a hamburger joint that's generally targeted at at young kids. They still use floppy disks. Now, in Chuck E. Cheese, they have uh, games that you can play and they have their mascot, who is um, a a rodent who I'm guessing is called Chuck E. Cheese. They'll have a, uh, this rodent that will dance around, but it's animatronic. And, you know, they will have this, they'll have the, you know, they'll have Chucky dance around based on a program. And that program is sent out periodically by the headquarters to each branch. And it's on a floppy disk. The user, the person working in the restaurant has to insert the floppy disk 
upload the new dance routine that Chucky's going to do. And that is how it's done to this day. And I found this on TikTok. So if you go to TikTok and check out the account at Showbiz Pizza Man, and this chap actually works uh, at the Chuck E. Cheese. His name is Stuart, and he takes us through it on his video showing how he basically changes the dance routine of the mascot. But it has been announced that they are going to phase out the use of the uh, the floppy disk, so it will be it will die its death at some point in 2023, by the looks of it, at least at that restaurant. But I wonder where else it's being used. But yeah, there we go. I thought uh, thought that'd be an interesting way to to wrap it up, guys. You realise there's probably a whole handful of listeners who don't know what a floppy disk is. That is an excellent point. <laughs> I probably didn't describe enough what they are. So for anyone listening um, that doesn't know what a floppy disk is, that save button that you'll sometimes press on some uh, on some things on the computer, like if you're saving a Word document, for example, yeah, that that odd-looking square thing is meant to symbolise a floppy disk. Wonderful. Well, yeah, thank you, Jen. Thank you, Jason. Uh, this has been episode 41 of Disconnected. See you on the next one. Bye.